0: Hi, everybody. It's Ken Navarro here. It is Monday, March 16th. Welcome to the podcast. I am still getting over a bit of this cold. It's been kind of a long week. It's been with me, but it's almost over. We had some great weather this weekend in Baltimore. It actually got up into the 60s, which is just amazing after the winter we've had. I hope you all, wherever you are, have had better weather, too. Well, this morning, I am going to do something brand new with my podcast, and that is an interview. I have brought in uh, a guest, and he's going to be with us in just a few moments. There are a number of other guests that are going to be doing the podcast in the coming weeks. Uh, This is a new thing, and uh, for the very first time that I introduced an interview and a a person on my podcast, I wanted to pick somebody special to me. And so I picked my longtime friend and longtime musical collaborator, keyboardist Jay Rowe, to be with me. I've known Jay way back since 1994 or three, I believe, when the two of us playing in different bands, me leading my own, Jay with the saxophonist Marion Meadows, we met up playing a double bill at the World Trade Centers in uh, Towers in New York City. And I guess it was 93. I think it was 93, 94. I'm still not sure. I'll ask Jay. He'll remember. He remembers everything. Uh, And ever since then, uh, he and I became friends, and he's played on many, many of my albums, and we've done many shows together. But Jay has done many things with many different artists, and that's what we're going to really focus on this morning. He's also a great storyteller, Uh, and uh, just loves life, loves all kinds of music, and so he seemed like the best guest that I could start with for my very first interview podcast. So anyway, that's what I'm doing this morning, and let's talk to Mr. Jay Rowe. Hey Jay, how you doing? Hey Cam
1: everything good over there how you doing in this crazy weather oh my god well it's almost you know it's 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 starting (laughs) to melt a lot you know the only the only problem we have over here is that you know all the snow uh, melts right into our garage <laughs> oh no oh man I've made my I know you it's, so, it's okay yeah right but it's
0: like it means you have to do two things at once you gotta you got to enjoy enjoy it and feel like spring is coming and then suddenly you know you're you're bailing out the garage <laughs>
1: so, absolutely
0: oh man how, how has this winter been for you with with gigging and I mean I I, I know here you know we took a trip Uh, out west a few weeks ago and and it was like we just missed the snowstorm and I wondered about you with all the traveling that you do what's it been like
1: well gigging gigging was pretty good you know I mean it's it I'll tell you you know after after just about 30 years you know of of being a full-time musician in the northeast I think I've dodged some you know major bullets and kind of gotten used (laughs) to you know Uh, just, just the fact that you can have, you know, a few days in a row of gigs possibly canceled due to a snowstorm. I mean, this, this, this winter wasn't that bad. The winter of, um, 2013 where, where I had a whole week canceled because of that 38 inches of snow, that was something. But, but there's some stories, there's some stories though, from, you know, some interesting things did happen this winter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> where 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 did you travel the farthest or have to deal with the weather the most uh, this these past few months? Well the farthest was um you know a 3-day trip that that I took with uh Keeli minucci you know in special effects. We had a 3-day run of Austin, uh Fresno and then Denver. And oh, um, uh, well two out of 3 <laughs> well, relatively warm places. Yeah, yeah, but but the thing but what was what was funny was you know all is the one, I mean, the one thing, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later a little bit, but, you know, I mean, one of the best things for me, you know, playing with a lot of different people and traveling, playing music, is I, I happen to have a pretty big family that's located all around the country, and, oh, you know, yeah. so yeah. I was using the trip to Austin, you know, as a chance to visit with my in-laws and everything, and, uh, you know, Deborah was already down there, uh, you know, already, so... I was planning on leaving and getting to Austin two days before the rest of the band actually had to be there oh, for the, for the oh, show. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Well, it was perfect, but what, what happened was, <laughs> you know, I was going <laughs> to leave on on, on on the Tuesday before the Thursday we were going to go. And, of course, right. on Monday, you know, January 26th, we had that massive snowstorm, and it was coming down, and I'm thinking, oh, geez, what's going to happen? Because I knew... You know, that my flight the next day would be canceled. And so I was actually in Trader Joe's at 2 in the afternoon that Monday, right? And I thought, and well. Th- th- this is in Connecticut. This is in Connecticut. And I thought, just yeah. for the hell of it, I'm going to call Delta Airlines and uh, see what they got. And uh, you know, <laughs> maybe it, maybe I'll get lucky. Well, sure enough, I'm walking around with a few groceries in my hand and my cell phone in the other hand, talking to talking to one of the operators at Delta, and they got me on the last flight out of Hartford that night, which was at oh six. My. Oh, that which was, night. Yep. Which <laughs> was you, at, you? So you went home, got your stuff, and and basically
0: went to the airport. I put my groceries back, went home, packed, and drove to the airport. Oh my God! See, this is what folks don't always understand: that the the gig is the hour and a half, but it's all these other things that go into it. And what a pro like you does is, you get to the gig one way or the other, <laughs> including that's exactly something right. like that. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> that's great! Now, well, at least you were going to Austin. Not only what were what was your wife Deb there, but but your in laws. But it's also just a nice place to be, I think, you know, uh, if you're going to spend a couple days, sometimes my problem sometimes with, with playing shows is I, I go all these different places, but I hardly ever get to see anything. You know, you're there for, for the day of the show and you're, you know, and you get there and that's a, that's a gig in and of itself. And then you get check into the hotel, do the sound check, have something to eat, play the gig, go to sleep, get up and go again. And you never really see the place you're at. I'm sure you've experienced that.
1: Yeah. De- for the, for the last 30 years.
0: Yeah. But, and but yeah, but Austin is good, you know, a lot to do there. And it's just a, a fun place to be.
1: It's usually, you know, without, without doing normal touristy things, I, I feel that for the most part, you know, I've gotten, you know, a flavor of, of, the place I'm at, you know, the only, the only time where it's impossible to feel that way is if, you know, and this is pretty obvious, I think, is if you're laid over in an airport. I mean, I've been in, you know, in Gatwick airport for hours waiting for a plane to Portugal or something, you know, and, 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 <laughs> Man. Yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 and at that point you're not really, you sort of have a sense of where you are like 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 you know Heathrow airport or Gatwick airport is a very international feeling mm-hmm. kind of kind mm-hmm. of airport so you know that you're right. you definitely know you're traveling outside of the US yeah. that's for sure Right. you, know, you don't get that but yeah
0: you're, you're- yeah, I know what you mean, but you're still limited to the posters and the decorum of the That's airport. True. Yeah. You know, what I mean, how they've set up it to feel, but it does feel different for sure. Yeah. No question about it. I, I know when I was in uh, Japan having to spend some time in, in those airports. Um, you know, in, in many ways, it feels like another airport. But then there's plenty of stuff to remind you, you know, uh, you're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Man, well, that's good. I'm really glad to hear that your winter, ha- you know, the, uh, hasn't it hasn't disrupted your, your travel too much. Now, be- b- b- by the way, with Austin, you were playing at the One World Theater, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What did you think of that venue?
1: I love that venue. Um, that is really... One of the most perfect, you know, smaller theaters I think in 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 the country. I mean, it's it's beautifully designed. It looks great. Mm-hmm. You know, they have great sound. Um, you know, it's nice when you see a, a room where where they obviously plan on making it a performance space and in in, in, right. in in a in a good world class performance space. Right, um, right. Some, I agree. Some rooms. You know, become performance spaces, kind of after the fact. You know, and 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 um, you know, they don't. In the end, they always work. You know, I mean, I I think um, you know, the artist makes the room. The room doesn't always make the artist. And 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 I, I really, <laughs> I I was made aware of that years ago when I was you know when I was still a student at New England Conservatory. And I went to see, you know, the great pianist Fred Hirsch, who, who, as you know, was one of my teachers, and and uh, you know, I saw Fred um, at this club in Somerville, Massachusetts, the Willow. Oh, wow! Now this, what was, was it called, the Willow? In the Willow, okay. Yeah, in this particular club, um, it was it was like a combination neighborhood bar, and I mean. Down and dirty neighborhood bar with, with, with <laughs> you know, with right, probably right. probably the kind of guys you know you, you, you saw in the Paul Newman movie, The Verdict. You know who have who have like eggs with their beer. Yeah, yeah, I love you know the egg, one of these days I'm going to try that just to say I did it, you know. I, I mean, I get <laughs> you know the egg. And but beer no, that's thing. great. You know? You're not talking about a place that's sort of like a neighborhood bar. It is a it neighborhood is. bar. And the, but you would see like amazing music there. You know, they'd have like Mike Stern with Tiger Akoshi, the trumpet player. You know, Fred Hirsch, and they would really try. You know, they they tried to keep like the crazy local drunks out of there, but occasionally. You know, let's just say the two worlds would collide. <laughs> right, you know, <laughs> collide. Get, I like your choice you of know, words. And you, would, and you would get, you know, <laughs> one night I was in, her friend was playing, and this drunk dude came in. You know, it was just hammered, and 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 it, and it and it. You know, it, got, it was kind of comical, and luckily they they got him out. They got you know the, the staff right, got him right. out of that. But how did eventually. Fred
0: deal with that? And you, as a student watching that, must he, have been just such a lesson.
1: He had a sense of humor about it. You know, he started. he yeah, played yeah. a little differently. You know, and was reacting uh, to uh, you know as much as a sensitive pianist and brilliant pianist like Fred could react to to a drunken uh, a drunken guy from Somerville, Massachusetts, you know I mean?
0: (laughs) Yeah, but that's right. That a sense of humor goes a long way when you're, when you're dealing with, you know, especially when you're traveling and you're just, you know, dealing with a different situation. Every show has some, sometimes like the one world theater in Austin. And I agree with you. I think it's a wonderful venue. Um, you know it's it's just like everything's cooperating and making your job easy and you just focus on the music but then there's other places where there's so many distractions and and if you if you let them get to you <clears throat> you know you only make it harder to do what you came to do and so that sense of humor which which you have in abundance i think is <laughs> is is really good you know really useful i the other thing i Notice about the One World Theater. I got to meet the owner when I played there, and it just was totally one of those situations where it flows from the top. You know, he, he clearly was music-driven and took a lot of pride in, in everything about that venue, and um, so it was, you know, a classic case of, of it starts at the top and then everything goes
1: from there. So Oh, absolutely, so yeah. And, and then you said you went to Fresno next? we yeah we were in fresno at at a place called the tower theater and um and that was you know fresno's interesting because they have you know there's there's a there's definitely an interest in in smooth jazz um but i don't know whatever promotional mechanisms there are it's it's, um, it's challenging for them to get people to come out you know and, and right and, with the with with the lack
0: of any stations in so many places now. yeah just, it's it's one thing for the music to not get played but then when somebody comes to town you know how do you get the word out
1: yeah and I mean it's really you know with no radio it's it's you know there there's times when as a, as a, as a promoter I mean you're, you're literally out in the streets you know just talking right. to people right. it's like it's like you're campaigning you know right <laughs> it, it, it truly well that's is. true it's like running yeah. and, for president I mean well you know, and and you
0: you know about that because, yeah. you know, this is, is this the 12th year the thir- now? 13th. 13th
1: year.
0: Yeah. And, and for those of you who don't know, uh, Jay's been doing a a major concert in his hometown of Milford, Connecticut, where he still lives, called Smooth Jazz for Scholars. He's been doing it, well, thir- this will be the 13th year. And I've witnessed firsthand when I've been uh, doing it that you are out there I wouldn't call it like a politician because uh you know you you're you're not you're not trying to get anybody to vote for you but in a way you're 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 definitely asking them to support what you're doing and uh I've seen you out there day before the show two days before the show and I know you do it many days before then literally delivering tickets hand delivering tickets to people wherever they are wherever they're working and uh but you know you, you, you've taught me that, that that's, that's what it's really about. And, uh, these days, you know, everybody's got to do that. Uh, even in Fresno, where if I remember right, I played a couple, uh, large jazz festivals they used to have out in Fresno that the station, uh, you know, was involved in. And so there was definitely an audience, but you, to reach them, you got to go and you got to go and find them yourself. And, you got to go get them. they don't know yeah, yeah, you got
1: to go get them. They're they're not <laughs> right. they're not as exposed. You know, when they're not, when it's not in their face on a daily basis, you know, you you have to try to try to put it there because it was. I played there too. I remember, um, we did a show and they had they had like this show we did and probably one of the ones you did, Ken had had. They had two stages I remember. Oh yeah, exactly. That's that what I remember. That was an amazing too. show. They had a major sponsor. I remember they had these luxury SUVs there. I guess they had like oh, yeah. an SUV sponsor, you know, and, and 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 I remember the audience was was wild and it was it was oh, it yeah. was families who were coming too. I remember right. I remember, right. you know, a woman and her teenage girls who 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 clearly were you know real potential converts you know to the music mm-hmm. you know i mean they mm-hmm. were and they and they loved and they, and they were so into the whole vibe and they were excited about it and 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 see that's another thing too you know just about exposing people who've never who've never heard the music i mean you don't you don't know if you're going to like something anything i mean until you try right. it you know and and that and, live experience is completely Energized uh,
0: certainly compared to some of the the way some of these stations sounded, but when people hear it live, um, you know the most common thing I have heard and continue to hear is I didn't know that I liked jazz.
1: Absolutely, yeah. They they
0: they, 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 it's that kind of of a sense, Um, and you know, I mean, of all forms of music, I would have to say that that all forms of jazz are they're really meant to be heard live. So, yeah, definitely. You know, um, it's 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 that's you know something that I'm glad that you, you've you've had, by the way, I should mention to the listeners who don't know, you've had incredible success with Smooth Jazz for Scholars. And this this is a concert where you have raised thousands, tens of thousands of dollars, maybe, maybe hundreds, I don't know. You you've done extremely well uh over the years, and the money, the profits have all gone to the music uh, departments in the Milford School System. Yeah, and so we... this is just this is just a, a, an incredible thing to me, and um, to give back so much to your community, uh, and also you know you hire a lot of musicians now. Now you've expanded the last few years into two nights, and so yes. you're also hiring all these musicians um, to come in and play, and and huge names in the smooth jazz world, and and so. Um I mean it's it's just a wonderful thing all around if there was ever a definition of win win I I would say J-Rose smooth jazz for scholars is it
1: Well thanks Ken I mean that's that's how it was always you know meant 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 to be I mean you know we we uh and and like like we've donated over over it's it's been over $58,000 in 12 years you know wow. so that's pretty good and the wow. thing when you do an event year in and year out you know it's not it's, we've always done well, and we've always had a profit, and, and, and I feel very fortunate for that, because, I mean, as you know, you know, the concert promotion business can be a really tough business at times, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, you, you, you I mean, as a promoter, you, you just have to watch your money, you have to be really careful where your advertising dollars are going, because you don't, it's always hard to quantify that stuff, and I was lucky I mean, I was lucky from day one because I had you and Kelly and Nelson and Marion, you know, three, four great artists who were all getting played on a major market station, which at the time was CD 101.9. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was fortunate as a sideman to be involved with all of you, you know, at, at the same time. I mean, I wasn't gigging actively with Nelson gel but we had but you had in we, the past yeah in we fact, had you, you and, guys were were college buddies
0: we and, were college and, you know, buddies way back
1: yep and i wrote a lot of tunes for him you know in the beginning part of his career and uh you know we had an ongoing relationship i mean we're you know we're he's one of my best friends and and and, and uh so i was lucky that i had you know that kind of access so that worked but it could have you never know you know i'll, I'll never forget you know, the last few weeks of that show, we're wondering how it's going to go. And um, I remember standing in the parking lot that night. I think we were, I don't know what, I think I was waiting for Marion or something. I don't know what, what I was <laughs> That sounds doing. about right. I mean, I think, or no, I, I'm not sure if that was the year that Marion, I don't know if Marion misses, was on a later flight or something or, or what was going on, but I remember I just happened to be standing there with, with, with the custodian from foreign high school, which is my alma mater. And, 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 and and it was a trip, you know, I mean, this could have been a movie in the making, you know, it's like, and I grew up with this guy, you know, this, this, this particular gentleman and I, you know, we're, 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 you know, friends since grammar school, you know, and, and, and as I'm standing there, you know, the parking lot started filling up, you know, and I thought, all right, well, you know, this is working. And, 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 uh, you know, it was it was one of those things where where you know, luck, luckily at the time, I mean, I had if it went bad, I had the money to pay everybody. <laughs> you know, well, that I yeah, had... I mean,
0: you were take you were making sure you were covered one way, yeah, or the other. yeah,
1: yeah, you know. And... But but it was like it 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 was great. You know, we had a, a a great first year, and um, you know, the word the word just spread from there, and I mean, it's expanded. It, you know, now with the two-nighter, you know, I like the idea of two nights just from having gone to, uh, like, so many festivals, you know, that we've played at that are that are more than one day. You know, it gives people a reason to travel. And, and... Oh, exactly. Well, you – but it's also a tribute
0: to what you've built that you can do, you know, from going from – worrying if anybody's going to show up for one night now you know to have two nights but i agree with you i think you're right i think that it gives people a re this becomes an event and a weekend event where they where they they'll actually get in a car or or get on a plane and get a couple nights of hotel room and, and they'll make an event out of which i think is what a lot of the smooth jazz audience that that you know the type a's i call them you know that are really into the music and go to concerts and buy albums you know they they will make that one of the things they do on their put on their calendar every year well i think it's smart smart business wise too
1: if you have an active you know retiree or something you know who's 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 really into traveling you know Mm -hmm. there and loves this music um You know they're going to be there. They're 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 definitely. It's like a it's like a it's like a you know a version of the Grateful Dead thing. You know where where they will will they'll they'll follow festivals around the country. You know and uh, yeah 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 I see that too. I guess we could give a podcast shout shout out to. one of those followers, Hap Carpenter from Norfolk, Virginia. <laughs> sure,
0: who, who... I, I saw Hap twice last year. He just comes to different things. You know, he just shows up. You know, Will, we saw him at a gig that we played
1: together in in Connecticut in November. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yep. He showed up and uh, yep, and then and then and then he was in. You know, well, he was at he was he was in Norfolk where he's from. But of course, right, but, right. but yeah, he shows up at Rehoboth Beach, Berks. I mean he's even he's 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 missing smooth Jazz for scholars this year because he couldn't coordinate it with uh his trip to Spain. He's going right, to New right. York in uh, the way it <laughs> fell. Yeah. But I'll
0: but I'll guarantee you he tried. Oh he I'll did. I'll
1: guarantee he, you that he tried. He definitely tried. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Uh, yeah, his his touring schedule is is more heavy than most artists because he's going everywhere (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's right Uh, he's uh, he's got he's booked i'm sorry i'm booked yeah he's booked he's booked (laughs) he he should he should make a he should like have a sideline career as an mc because he's right i know oh i know but he's he's great he's he's he's
0: just a good guy and not only does he support the music but he's just one of those faces you're you're always glad to see him oh yeah um he's he's just a well before we talk and i i have a a lot of questions for you. Things I'm interested in about about people you played with and and particular um, things about travel. Let's go back and just talk a little bit about your beginnings. Um, you know, I'm I'm curious to hear. I know a lot about you from from us being friends for over 20 years now, but um, I'm I don't always know everything about how you started and i know you started playing piano right i mean you you weren't some you weren't uh obviously you were not like me and so many people who played piano when they were very young and then discovered the instrument they were supposed to be playing you started
1: on piano right well actually actually i started on guitar when I was oh eight. wow yep interesting i'm surprised yeah. we never talked about that but i'll tell you well you we've taught
0: i know you play guitar but i did not realize that you actually picked that up first well, that i didn't know
1: yeah and it, and that's very interesting and i tell this you know i well I've, I've told you know the story i tell is that uh you know i started guitar playing with guitar lessons when i was eight and wow. um and I that is wanted, young to start playing guitar. And I love the Beatles, you know, I mean, I think, mm-hmm. I mean, I love music period, you know, I don't, of course, you know, there's from the, from the time I could remember, what I don't remember is, is asking is Juan is, is loving, you know, Louis Armstrong's single of Hello Dolly. But apparently I love that. I think when I was like a year and a half years old, I guess. And, uh, You know, and I didn't even remember. It was such an early musical thing that I didn't... But something
0: connected that, you know, your parents saw happen. I know my mom tells stories about me dancing around the TV while American Bandstand was on. Yeah. Who remembers that? But, you know, obviously some kind of direct connection was made. And it happens with lots of kids, I think. But, you know, in your case... Uh, you know, I bet your mom sent something, you know, was there any, was there, was there music in your family house? I mean, did either of your parents play?
1: Well, they all, everyone in my mom's family took piano lessons. You know, she came from a family of five kids and three out of the five, um, well, four out of the five took, took piano lessons. And then, Mm -hmm. and not only did they take lessons, but their, their first cousins took piano lessons and they all took from the same teacher. So, oh, man. So they did recitals together
0: and everything?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's some... I, Somewhere there exists an old vinyl record of them playing a four-hand piano concerto together. And I don't know who has it. Um, I'd like to get a hold of that one of these days and check that out, you know? But, but you know... I mean, they were, you know, my mom was was a, was a good pianist. Actually, played mm-hmm. by, you know, she. It's when my mom sits down and plays the piano a little bit now. It's very much that old, ni- you know, late thirties, nineteen forties, kind of pop piano style, you know, mm-hmm. that existed back then. And and you know, I had a a very good friend of mine, um, who who's who's you know, a, pretty much the same age as my mom. Who also played the piano played in that style as well, you know. It was that very, very much that sheet music, you know, Tin Pan Alley kind of, kind of style, you know, uh, right? Um, and it's and it sounds like a 1930s or 1940s movie. I mean, that's the best way to describe it. It's not, it's not jazz piano playing, you know. It's it's really the pop piano playing of of, of that particular era, um, you know. But but anyway i I just you know like the Beatles I mean you know what I do remember is 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 being introduced to the Beatles at three you know at three years old when when it when on the same night, my parents and my uncle Edmund were taking me to see the Broadway production of hello Dolly um you know, and, right? And this is when yeah, sure. Three. That was
0: right in that same period. That so was we... a
1: huge, huge hit musical and yep. soundtrack. Nineteen sixty-six, I think it was. Mm-hmm. So, so we go mm-hmm. to, we stop at my uncle Larry's house first, and he happens to have a copy of Revolver. You know, the Beatles Revolver. So he puts it on, and then somehow a week or so later, we're in a department store. You know, back in Connecticut, and we're going. We're about to go down the escalator, and they see, and, and, and they had a bin right near the escalator. Like you talk about product placement, right? Stacked <laughs> with multiple copies of Revolver, like four bins across, you know, or something like that. So I'm a three year old. I'm like in Revolver heaven. I mean, you know, it was almost like psychedelic in, in and of itself, you know? Right. And right, I was, tr- right. and I loved record covers as a little kid, you know, I mean, you know, and that cover was just like—I mean, you could look at that, co- just stare at that cover. That's probably why you know why I took so much time, you know, tying my shoes because I'd be looking at a record cover at the same time, and my <laughs> shoes wouldn't get tied, you know, or whatever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but but I oh, but I'm just, but I'm staring at this cover, and in the meantime, you know, my mom and my and my younger sister are halfway down the escalator, and I thought I was lost in the store. And then, luckily, some other some <laughs> right because
0: other... there's they they have no idea that you've just been mesmerized and captured by by that album cover. Yeah.
1: So the long the the, the short end of the story is my mom bought me Revolver that day, and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and then from that time on, I got every Beatles record that came out. You know, I I somehow knew when they were coming out and would ask right. for them at Christmas time or or whenever. And and you know, it was really so that was. You know, my parents were just very responsive that way. There was always a, a great stereo system in their house and in my grandmother's house. You know, mm-hmm. and my grandmother would be listening to Frank Sinatra or whatever. You know, they listened to. You know, sometimes Liberace. My grandmother loved Liberace. You know, and uh, yeah, my
0: grandmother did too. Yeah, so interesting.
1: Yeah, so she'd listen to that stuff, and uh, you know, and it was, um, it was, it was great. You know, it was, it was really. It was really a cool experience. But then growing up in a neighborhood that was sort of like, you know, the the, the the typical Wonder Years kind of neighborhood, you know, in the late 60s and everything with all the older kids, you know, and radios blaring and just, you know, I mean, I was hearing everything. And, and, and I just sort of took it all in. And then, you know, so at 8, I started taking guitar lessons. The thing was, was that the teacher I had was very methodical, very book one, book two book three, you know, he didn't teach me any differently than he taught, you know, the kid who was more interested in playing baseball down the street, you know, right. so, so I don't know, I, like, like I wasn't, and guitar for me wasn't the kind of instrument where I could teach myself how to play things, you know, two year, three years later when I started with piano lessons, which was when I was 10 and just, just before fifth grade started, it was August of, um, 1973 three that I started playing piano and mm-hmm. within four months you know I'm figuring out you know how to play chords and and, and you know then I think I don't know probably uh, in, in the spring of 74 right I see the movie American Graffiti and love that <laughs> soundtrack and one of the mm-hmm. first things I ever taught myself how to play off of a record was at the hop. Right. Right.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then it went from there. Then I'm teaching myself how to play songs. So it really had there was a connection. And
0: I, I understand as an eight or a nine or even 10 year old, it's teaching, figuring out stuff without any previous musical instruction or experience is very hard to do on a guitar, just physically hard for an eight or a nine or a 10 year old to play a guitar. Uh, and the 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 fact that the piano lent itself to you immediately being you were you were able to explore and and create your own path with 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 the piano, uh, and that makes total sense to me. See, I started playing piano, and then when I got into the guitar, because I'm ten years older than you, so everything was was in terms of when the Beatles hit, I was like eleven or twelve when when they they appeared on the Ed Sullivan show. So I had five, six years of piano uh, lessons under my belt. And so picking up a guitar, one, it was a little easier on my fingers because I was a little bit bigger. And two, you know, I had this background of of music and piano and ear training. So I had something to hold on to 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 figure out and how to teach myself to play the guitar. Because like you... I, I was, my parents sent me to a teacher who had me reading, you know, Mary Had a Little Lamb out of the Mel Bay books, which I'm glad somebody taught me how to read on the guitar, but that was, you know, after six months, I was like, this doesn't make any sense, <laughs> you know. Well, and that's so, the uh, thing, you know,
1: yeah. I mean, and that kind of gets into another area of teaching, you know, where you have to at least, I think as a teacher, you know, every everybody needs to learn the basics, you know. I mean, I mean you have to learn the basics, but I think... As a teacher, you know, you got to throw in, let's, you know, I don't know, let's call it thrown in a teaser where you say, now, now if you do this, you can do this, you know, and show them how to play. Right. Like I've been, I, I, you know, I have a couple students now and, 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 you know, to keep, to keep them interested, you know, like to show somebody, to show like an 11 year old kid, you know, the latest Sam Smith song, you know, stay with me, which is a three quote song. That's why,
0: that's right. That's why they're there. You know that's because they want to learn how to be that, do that.
1: Yeah, and I mean you have to show them what that is, and mm-hmm. and, and kind of demystify all that, and and, and right. uh, you know just let them know what the possibilities are.
0: Yeah, and I think I think a good teacher has to has to integrate the basics into the music that the student wants to learn, because at that age, you know, they they are willing probably to do just about anything you ask them to do to a point. But if they don't see how it's connected, as I certainly didn't when, you know, with the six months of guitar lessons I had connected to what I really wanted to do, then it's hard to keep, keep them coming. And it, or more most importantly, hard to keep them, you know, working hard at it and being motivated, which is, you know, I'm sure you're a very motivational teacher. And I think in general, I don't know what your experience has been, but I think in general, more teachers now who are teaching young kids are really understand this you know because they they their musical some of those teachers back in our youth were were old school music so they really like the guy who taught me was probably into only into straight ahead jazz and maybe the teacher who taught you know taught you was coming at it from a classical approach and nowadays these teachers, you know, 30, 40 years later, they're into everything like you and I are, and, um, and they understand that better, and, and I, think you, I think you see less of that, personally, hopefully. Yeah. One thing I'm curious about, Jay, is you have incredible rhythm and time. Was it always that way? Well, that's been my
1: savior my whole career. (laughs) (laughs) Having good time is the thing that's been my my saving, not my savior, but my saving grace.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, good time and also, but, you know, good time and good groove are not always the same thing. Uh, You know, there are people that sometimes, you know, it feels good what they're playing, but then they, their time isn't all that solid. And so things move around more than they should. And then there are other people who they're very consistent with their time, but there's just something lacking with it having a depth of what you and I would call a pocket. You know, that's why I think people use that word groove because it kind of creates an image of some deep thing that, you know, you really can sit in. And, you know, when we, the first time you and I met, now and I was trying to remember in my introduction if it was ninety three or ninety four. It was playing at the World Trade Centers. They used to do you know those those concert series at noon uh, every Wednesday in the summer that CD one hundred one would put on. And you were playing with Marion Meadows and I was leading my own band. And that was the first time I ever heard you play. And we actually got to talking. Was that ninety three or ninety four? I can't I can't remember for the life of that, that. was that was
1: definitely ninety four. It was August of ninety four. Okay.
0: I knew you'd remember. It's <laughs> very little that you forget. But I, I, what I took away from that, I mean, and this is not to diminish anything else that that, that I heard and, and really liked that day watching you play and watching Marion and Ron Lawrence play, uh, but what I really took away from it was that you had this tremendous sense of groove. Your time was impeccable, but your feel of, of, for that, for what you were doing with the rhythm, was was uh, in my mind the one of the best i I'd, I'd ever heard especially from a non bass player drummer you know what I mean yeah, as pianist wow. and guitar as pianist and guitarists we were both part of rhythm sections but um you know I don't think I'd ever heard a pianist. Lock in like that, you know, and have it feel so good and and uh obviously it made a big impression on me because you you've i don't know how many albums of mine you've been on and how many live shows we've done, but obviously that 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 was more than a saving grace you know it was a signature it, it was a signature of 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 what you do you know so uh, um it's interesting to hear that it started so early on you know with the very first band, and so I take it you. You know, like a lot of musicians, you running outside of the, the music in the school systems, you know, you, you just played in a whole succession of bands right right through high school? Pretty much, yeah. So now, now, so through high school playing all these bands, when you got into college, is that when the jazz part of you really started to kick in and, and your focus changed?
1: Well, the jazz part started happening you know, like freshman year of high school, Mm -hmm. you know, the summer of eighth grade going into freshman year of high school. Um, you know, one my uncle Edmund, who was a great, um, you know, really, really exposed me to a lot of music growing up as a kid, um, started, you know, giving me jazz records as gifts. You know, right. I thought maybe that was a good idea. <laughs> yeah, he's trying <laughs> you know. to
0: broaden your <laughs> musical horizons, you know. Yeah. as we all do. I I remember giving <laughs> my son Kind of Blue when he was in, you know, a freshman or a or a sophomore in high school and you want him to know more than just just the the things they're listening to naturally.
1: So the first so the first thing he ever gave me was um you know, Bill Evans The Tokyo Concert. So I started mm-hmm. listening wow. to that and then and then I started listening to, uh, you know, probably freshman year of high school, you know, my other uncle. You know, I have my mom had three has has three bro- you know had three brothers, uh, my uncle Edmund, my uncle Larry, my uncle Tony, and they were all you know they all ended up you know becoming '60s hippies and and really. You know, I mean, they would they would roll into town and and it was like an instant party or something whenever they'd show up. <laughs> wow, you know, it was wild. <laughs> but they'd always bring me records, and it was always good stuff. You know, from the early rock of 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 you know Dave Mason and Joe Cocker and Blood Sweat and Tears and Crosby Stills and Nash and Neil Young. You know, with oh, Crazy yeah. Horse, every everybody knows this is nowhere. I mean, you know, great stuff and and uh in all through my whole life i mean i you know i think one christmas uncle tony bought me songs in the key of life in asia you know
0: oh man oh my god i mean it's amazing that records
1: like that were coming out at the same time but with them it was always about it was never like like quantity it was quality you know it was it was really quality versus quantity you know and um and the thing and, and the thing was was that like you know so i started you know uncle edmund bought uh bill evans the tokyo concert that's so that's the first jazz record i I ever listened to and 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 then you know from there um i also played in a in a jazz a regional big band that was part of yale music school and uh that was it was led by uh willie ruff and Dwight mitchell who were two amazing amazing music educators Uh, willie ruff played bass and french horn and became a student at Yale. Dwight Mitchell was an amazing pianist, classical and jazz. I mean, he was great at both. I should have studied privately with him. I never got to study privately with him, but I'd watch him play. And those guys definitely had a sense of groove. They'd, they'd play together a lot as a duo, and they would do in-school performances across the country and and all over the world. They went to Russia. They went to China. Um they were they were pretty amazing so you know with the two of them i got exposed to all the real authentic like count basie big band charts you know um in in the benny carter big band charts the real ellington arrangement wow so this was when you were still in high school yeah and you know we we played um you know all the real arrangements you know the real count basie arrangement of Kid from Red Bank, um, which was a piano feature that that was really hilarious. I was I learned I I learned that that exact the, they had the exact Count Basie solo transcription in the big band arrangement that we had, and uh, I remember freaking out <laughs> learning that you know when I'm like fifteen. <laughs> and wow. Dwight Mitchell, who was you know one of the directors of the band, amazing piano player, um, played was equally great at classical and jazz, you know, and very soulful. I mean, just there there was never a more complete package of monster technique and, and the kind of soul he had. Yeah. You know, unless you were dealing with a Ma Jamal <laughs> you know, or something
0: right, like or Oscar. Right, yeah. You yeah. know. I mean But you you got such an amazing you know opportunity relatively young in terms of you know the expectations of a of a leader like that and 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 playing music that was took you in a whole nother direction from all the rock and the r&b stuff that you you know up to that point had pretty much been the the backbone of how you learned to play definitely
1: yeah and i mean and we still i still liked all the rock. i was still listening to everything you know but it was it was it was coming from a different place and and And, uh, you know, to really start playing that way in, in learning and learning, you know, that vocabulary, uh, you know, it was, it was, I was getting it every Tuesday, you know, Tuesday night was when that band would rehearse. And so I'd go there on Tuesday night and deal, deal with, you know, Fumbling through "Kid from Red Bank" and <laughs> you know, trying to read all these.
0: <laughs> but that's how that's great. It was wild, man. That's I how hated you learn.
1: myself. I mean, I thought I sucked. It was it was it was brutal. <laughs> it was brutal. I had I had zero perspective because everybody everybody in the band was great. You know, there was zero mediocrity. And and but but to be good at anything musical takes a strong commitment. To be a great songwriter, you know, it's it's not easy. So many, you know higher quote unquote higher level musicians might you know belittle you know rock songwriting or or grunge bands or whatever you know but to but to come up with any kind of cohesive finished statement that is musical takes a lot of work and 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 there' and there's there's nothing easy about it you know i mean if it was right
0: you know yeah. in the well, it's that discipline you're talking about where you know you see that missing now where where uh, kids aren't aren't the follow through of it you know they they it's not expected to the same degree that you experience is, sounds like what you're what what you're saying well,
1: I was lucky that at least my parents had the sense to put me in situations mm-hmm. like that that were gonna be great situations in in just you know totally world class I mean there was never you know i mean i'm i'm very very fortunate for that cuz cause, cause a lot of a lot of kids don't have parents like i had you know and i mean yeah no it's it 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 always comes back it always
0: comes back you and i you and i have played with uh a, a couple of brothers uh greg and gary granger and uh you know who are wonderful uh bassist and and drummer uh But, you know, I remember meeting their parents and going, ah, okay, that explains some things, you yeah know, it really your how your parents bring you up and and the the sense of what is what is expected of you and where you place the bar for yourself that 's where it always starts. They give you the confidence to do that, but they also make it clear that this is what is expected as a minimum <laughs> you know, and it uh, now it 's funny as you 're talking about your experiences in in these kinds of situations, uh, especially with jazz. Have you seen the movie Whiplash? Yet? Oh, I
1: saw it. Yeah, that was pretty wild and I can tell you. I yeah. never had any that must... I never had any teachers like that. But but <laughs> but you know, this this is a nice segue into college, you know, and, and we've talked about <laughs> right, some right. of my college experience already, you know, but um um and then in college, you know, I met I met Dave Mann who who yeah, you know, Dave. Dave Mann.
0: Who not only is he a great, great Reed player, great saxophonist, but a wonderful oh, he's arranger amazing. and composer in he's his own amazing. right.
1: He, that was all starting when we were at the conservatory. You know, he was he was a fine pianist as well as a great sax player, and and was writing great mm-hmm. songs back then and arranging and getting into all that stuff. And uh, and then of right, course Nelson right. Rangel. I mean, you know, I mean, meeting Nelson was we were. We were really, you know, on the same page. Totally on the same page with yeah. what we wanted to do yeah. musically, in terms of our our love of contemporary jazz and pop music, and having all those influences in our playing. Right, and when you when you meet somebody like that in college,
0: it's it's really meaningful because you run across so many different kinds of people, particularly in a classically oriented music school, which most of them still are. And you know, sometimes you can feel, at least I did, like there are a lot of people there that it's hard to relate to. It seems like their relationship with music is fundamentally different than the one that you have. And so when you run across somebody like like you did with Dave and also with Nelson, where there's a real connection, yeah. you know, um, especially you know, uh, and to this day, you know, you, you you obviously still have a really strong relationship with with both of them.
1: Yeah, those were the two, you know, the two. Uh biggest connections i made and
0: so did you did you start to play were you playing with nelson after college right away as well i mean did you, you know i know you were writing for him right during we were period. we
1: had we actually had we had a band um it was my sophomore year at at the conservatory and Nelson's senior year and nelson wanted to enter the downbeat mm-hmm. magazine student competition mm-hmm. so we we put a band together for that and uh we recorded four tunes um, at, a, at a really cool little studio in Boston. It was it was it was a lot of fun doing that. You know, of course, wow! And those and it was. This is like 83. 80s, 83, 83 winter of okay. eighty three. It was six. You know, we we it was it was it was a sixteen track recording. You know, and and uh, mm-hmm. and we and it was it was it was pretty amazing. You know, I mean, it sounded really good. I don't know where it is right now. I might have a copy wow. of all that it's stuff. on a reel-to-reel tape In my mom's somewhere garage or my mom's attic it's somewhere i i have to dig this out because
0: man you well you should only because those real to real i have some as well uh reel-to-reel tapes and you know i sh- i hope they still i hope they don't disintegrate when i finally transfer them to digital you yeah. know what i mean because that stuff it's not meant to last forever I know.
1: well i gotta i gotta try and find them and i might Hopefully, I still yeah. have them. You know, hopefully in in a in a, in a movie. Right? They're they they so. frenzy. They didn't get thrown out or something. But
0: oh, it's but, yeah. I know. There is so much stuff. I know. So you and Nelson were, were did that? Did did what? Did you guys gig together we, too? Like we started around town gigging or
1: together? We gigged together some after Nelson graduated because you know he graduated mm-hmm. and moved to New York and had no gigs. So he would come to Connecticut right. and play with Ron and I. You know, I mean. And and I mean he'd stay at my parents' house, you know, and, and, and I mean it was it was it was it was a funny scene, you know. It was and, Wow, that's
0: great. Oh, that's great. And of course Nelson
1: it. was Nelson, you know. I mean he's he was he was, you know, a younger version of like he is now, you know. I mean I mean I mean in mm-hmm. in kind of unsure you know, he, he, he knew what his abilities were. But like right. anybody, when you get out of music school it's kinda like what's next you know it's not it's not like you're interning yeah yeah. you know you're not like interning with the gill evans band while you're in college and then hey you have a job wouldn't that
0: be nice oh my god i always remember asking as far back as when i was you know in a freshman in college music program i remember right through my senior year asking people at the university so, what kind of? How do you get work? And nobody could answer these questions. I knew there was something suspicious going on right there. But yeah, it doesn't matter how good you are. You're you're going to have to deal with the reality of of find that you have to make your own path. There there is no set out career path to follow. Uh, as a musician, and especially as as a jazz musician uh, or a jazz and and whatever you want to call anything that's non classical, there isn't a nice prescribed course, you know. So uh, Nelson experienced that, you know, before you did, I guess. So you kind of got to see that. Oh, a I definitely watched. it. I a mean, I bit. kept.
1: You know, I, mm-hmm. I learned more from watching Nelson's career. You know, mm-hmm. the two years I had left of school. I mean, then right and. Well wow, that's I mean great. I watched that's it and saw yeah. it and, and and you know when I got out I had my own questions. I mean I didn't know mm-hmm. exactly how much money I would make. Um I mean in and, and and you know by the time I got out uh I mean I was you know it was interesting because I had there was kind of this thing going on, you know, I was doing gigs with Ron in in New Haven. We had a really good band.
0: Mm-hmm. Um so you were always making some money right well, through college year, yeah, working as a much. musician. Pretty much. I mean,
1: it was funny because like sophomore mm-hmm. year, you know, summer of sophomore year of, of, of college, you know, I, I, I was I was doing gigs. And then I had a little gig. I worked in the butcher department at Gloria's Farm Market in Milford for about a month. <laughs> wow. That was I one it. of my non – wow. I stuffed sausages. I knew how – I learned how to – I learned yeah, how to yeah, stuff yeah. sausages, you know and uh (laughs) so but but yeah you know i was
0: i delivered i delivered pizzas in college so yeah we were we were both in the food yeah well then that makes sense (laughs) you know but
1: (laughs) we both love food but 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 i mean yeah but you know so that so but it was it was it was mostly music i mean i was pretty fortunate you know that there were gigs. And, and then it got to the point, well, you know, I, I really was in the food industry because all through college I worked in the cafeteria. You know, I knew, I knew I would have mm-hmm. a guaranteed meal every day. So that's the job I took, you know, <laughs> at school. Cause right. you know, there was always talk of the, of the yeah. starving college student and I didn't want to be one of those, you know, God forbid. So, 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 you know, I got a job in the cafeteria and junior and senior year of college. I would go home every other week, do a couple gigs, you know, each weekend while still working in the cafeteria. So the gig money I did paid my off camp for my off campus apartment. You know, it was was, was, was wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had that. Yeah, well, that was nice. I mean, you know, that was
0: a little bit unusual back then, right? Now kids live off campus all the time, but that was a little unusual. And then now, and I'm curious, did you, when did you meet Marion Meadows? How does that, See, this this was all going, this was
1: all happening at the same time. I actually met Marion while I was still in high school. We didn't play together much because I was just starting out, you know. But within, you know, like during the period, the last two years of college, we started playing together some. And then once I got out um, and was back home, you know, in Connecticut full time, um, we started playing together a lot cause Ron and I were playing together two or three times a week, you know, and then Marion had another keyboard player. Um, he came from, well, there were two different bands. There was a band called Sunsight that was led by a great keyboard player, Joey Malati, who went on to, you know, be mm. Barry Manilow's music director and Michael Bolton's music directors work with Liza Minnelli. Um, all, all. Sorts of different people. He's had a really great career. And so he and Marion had a band. And then when Joey, when they weren't playing together anymore, um, I think when Joey left to play with Michael Bolton and do some tours with Michael, Marion needed a keyboard player. And he had a guy from Baltimore named Jock Burvick. And the two of them played with Norman Connors. But whenever Jock couldn't make the gig, they'd call me. And sometimes it would be a last-minute phone call you know, and so that's when I started playing with them, you know, when I got, I got out of school in 85 and, uh, you know, was still playing with Ron, still doing little wedding gigs here and there and stuff and solo piano, whatever, I mean, whatever I could do, you know, and then, and then like in 86, you know, I joined a really good wedding band that worked, that had a lot of work and, and, and you know, I, I was I was really making great money. I mean, music as a career path started to make sense because I, I was making as much money as some of my friends who went to business school. You know, the only difference between them and in me was that I wasn't going to get you know bonuses every year like they did. <laughs> you, know, you know, there was no yeah. structure for yeah. that. You maybe you maybe got a tip on New Year's yeah, Eve. Yeah, <laughs> you know? but I mean,
0: it's like it that. Yeah, it's not. I know, but but at the same time, you had all this freedom, and because Absolutely. you were so versatile, and you were you were versatile, and you were also interested uh in so many different kinds of music you were able to accept all kinds of gigs and yeah you know not not only stylistically but you know what do you need you need solo piano I, I can yep. I got it you know you need me to play left hand bass I can do that too you need me to rock out you know uh, I'll change my wardrobe and you'll never know that I was a jazz guy at that's one exactly time, right you know? yeah so yeah. the And that all that all comes, I think, from, you know, uh, the fact that you truly connect with all these different kinds of music. Yeah. And uh, it's another thing that I think now to this day, you know, makes you in in such demand by so many different people because they know you can you can. To turn uh, you know uh, on a dime and musically whatever direction they need you to go and you know no so now so mary both marion and nelson you were playing with diff- different um situations was either of them recording yet did either of them had a have a recording well deal what yet?
1: happened was you know nelson got his recording deal first the first deal was with a label called gaia that was distributed by polygram and um and, and, you know, we did demos for Nelson. I remember, you know, I think I think a month after I was out of school, Nelson called me to do a recording session with him in New York. You know, so so we, and it, and it took two years for Nelson to get the deal with Gaia. So we got the deal with Gaia. I had two tunes on that first CD, and, um, you know, that, that really felt great. You know, at that time, to actually, yeah, yeah, absolutely. What were th- what were those there songs? By song the way, there was a song called "A Little Sweetness," and then another song called "I mm-hmm. Hope We Meet Again." Um, right, right, and and so it must have been relatively early compositions of
0: yours, certainly in in the style that we would now call probably call contemporary jazz or what there, eventually is yeah. called. Yeah, and I mean, they're still
1: good tunes. You know, it's like it's funny. At least, mm-hmm. you know, I I mean, I knew, I don't know. You know, I I guess I had an instinct enough enough compositional instinct to know when a tune was finished you know and and, right exactly and and, and all that so you know i mean that was they were they were good songs i got to play on them you know so i had writing credit and playing credit on a nationally internationally released record you know i mean it was great you know and then i and how old were you at that time? You know, still twenty-four. Yeah, that's pretty young to have that. Oh, happen. and I wanted more. I was beating myself up because I wasn't the artist on the record. I mean, it was like you know, whatever, whatever I got, I wanted you know, so much more of.
0: Well, that's that's all part
1: of. I think when you're
0: self-employed, that's a very healthy yeah. thing. You know, I mean, you're you're always raising the bar on yourself because nobody else is going to do it. So it's so, so you true. do it. I,
1: you know, but 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 then you know, and it was it was. That was that was that was a great experience. And uh, Yeah. You know, and then and then after that was when Nelson got the GRP record and uh you I know, see. we were doing another record for Gaia and then somehow they went out of business or something happened there and mm-hmm. yeah, and I remember then, that, but and vaguely, then uh, but yeah. you know, Nelson got the deal with, with GRP and uh, you know, the next thing was we did his record playing for keeps, which you know, I wrote the title track on that record, Playing for Keith. Right. You know, right. at the time, the title, that tune was called Old Field Lane, you know. My, my life experience was mm-hmm. limited to the places I grew up, and I hadn't had that many girlfriends sure. yet, you know, and uh, so I'd name my tunes after places or whatever, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, and then Larry true. Rosen, who was the founder and president of GRP, calls, calls right. one day and says, you know, hey, I need. I'd like to change the title of this song because you know, nobody knows what Oldfield Lane is. <laughs> what but, you're talking but, about, But you know, right? Nelson's a Nelson's a hot. He yeah. knew that was going to be one of the. Oh yeah, he knew it was going to be the title track. He know, says, hey, we want to make yeah, it to yeah. the title track, but we want to change the title. You know, because uh, no one <laughs> knows what Oldfield Lane is. But Nelson's a hot young player, and so we want to call this "Playing for Keeps." You know, and I'm like great right, larry right, thank right. you you know and I mean, sure. and, and, yeah done and <laughs> it was cool you know and i mean and that tune you know that was you know for what it was worth it was a top 10 radio song and uh you know i mean it was it was it was it was, it was uh you know the royalties from that record bought me my first eight at tape tape recorder and uh you right, know right. it, was, it exactly. was i mean I, well you discovered early on you know
0: that the advantages to being the songwriter as opposed to necessarily being the artist and uh you know the advantages of being the songwriter go can go for a long time uh, it, <laughs> i know you probably don't see too much money from that now but well, you but know it, at it, one time it, i'm sure oh, it, it, it did.
1: paid over a long it really of time It really did and, and 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 you know i mean i would i would tell anybody in the business you know Never underestimate the power of songwriting or, or holding a copyright, because even if even if it's a record that's not a major record, you know, major release, you know, if it finds its way, you know, into the into mass media, and as long as you properly register it with ASCAP and SoundExchange and all these companies, I mean, you could have right. some pleasant surprises, you know, that's... absolutely. You, that, and, you know,
0: with jazz music, it's it has a popularity that goes way beyond the United States. In fact, it's more popular in other parts of the world. And, you know, I'm sure you've had some nice surprises. I, I certainly have where suddenly... They're using eight songs in Japan for some TV show, and and checks for phenomenal amounts of money come in out of nowhere. Things, songs you might have forgotten you it's wrote. Pretty wild. You know? So the this that's completely different than than the artist. You know, uh, in other words, when that's happened to me, it hasn't had anything to do with the fact that I was the artist. It had to do with the fact that I was the songwriter. That's right. And like you said, own the copyright. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's that that's that's the other important. Well, because part, you, you know, know
1: you you the thing is, is that, you know, when, when you're, when you're doing a wide variety of work, you know, as a self-employed artist or, you know, musician, I mean, you have to have money coming in from different sources, you know, when one thing's not happening, something else is. And, and even, you know, I had a nice sound exchange surprise, you know, back in December that was totally out of left field. And, you know, it was like getting another great gig except I didn't have to go out of the house to make this money this money came <laughs> right and there's to also the that
0: house. nice sense when it yeah yeah no I know and there's a nice sense too when it comes that of just sort of a, it's a it's a Reconfirmation that you're doing the right yeah, thing,
1: definitely. Uh,
0: so you know, we we may not get those bonuses that that people get when they've been working at a company for a long time, but but we do as songwriters, um, and especially if you own the the sound recording rights to your recordings as well, we we sometimes get what feel like bonuses, That's right. uh, even though we earned them, and we shouldn't treat them like they're extra money; they're part of our income. But but I think that they are psychologically, they feel like like bonuses, and and that that's really oh, important. Yeah. I think. Well, not not to jump ahead too far, but um, we're starting to run out of time, and I want to make sure that people um, know a little bit about what you're doing now, because in some ways, as successful as you've been right from the beginning of your career, you're probably more busy now in terms of the different artists that you're playing with. I I wonder if you could just list for for. Uh, the listeners who who are just uh, uh, uh you know some of the people you're currently working with that are people in the smooth jazz and contemporary jazz field and well beyond.
1: it all started you know it started with nelson writing songs for nelson but from a performing mm-hmm. standpoint you know once i played with Marion meadows started playing with Marion and this is back in 1991 then i got a real right. sense of what touring was like and traveling as a musician and and, and it's been amazing. And, and through Marion, you know, of course, I got to play with you. And, uh, and it's been great, you know, all around. I mean, I, you know, for all the listeners out there, I always tell everybody I'm grateful to have played on, on all of Ken Navarro's records in, in live, you know. But I, I'm, on the records, I'm really grateful for because, you know, Ken, you've always given me, you know, a lot of creative freedom, you know, to introduce the things that I really like to do you know from an orchestration standpoint right, right. And, and and i really appreciate i i've, I've never I, I always appreciate that exposure from you um you know and, and being given well, the opportunity i, always, I feel like that, that's you know
0: yeah that's why you bring in players that you you don't you you bring in people one i think at least my approach with recording is you bring in people where you want their ideas. I mean, especially in this day and age where so much is possible with sound, uh, just within, you know, your, your own studio and your computer, it's really about ideas. And so, you know, I learned the hard way that you can hire people who are really happy to be there and they might be convenient, but if they don't have what it is you're looking for, you know, you're just going to be, working really really hard and trying to bring it out and in your case what was and the reason why you've been on so many of my albums is because one i wanted your ideas and your input and two i knew that we were all you were you were capable of doing whatever it was that either of us could think of uh and then some uh but you know you were you you came with it you know you weren't we weren't trying to pull it out we were just trying to get the very best performance and the best ideas but you know right off the bat it was there so you know it was a natural fit but now you you've now i remember i can't remember what year it was we did a show together in um in philadelphia uh remember at yeah. Penn's landing and i believe we were on the same bill another great i think great outdoor venue in in, in philadelphia um and I remember Keely Minucci was on that same yep. bill. And I think right around that time, you started to do some work with Keely. Am yep. I right about that? Yep. Was it right? I,
1: I, and I'm thinking, was that like 1999 well, or 98? Well, actually, that, I was playing with them then. I was already playing with them then. We, we, um, we started right. playing together. Kelly and I first met when, we, when I did a project with a singer-songwriter that he had discovered named Heather Mullen. And, uh, ah, and, right. and, mm-hmm. and you know, we were brought together by the producer of that project, um, you know, and, and, and so that's when I first met Keely, um back in 92 playing with Heather. And then we, kielli and Phil Perry, who I've played with a number of times mm-hmm. also, we're on a, we were all on a bill together with Marion back in 95. So after that show was yep. when Kielli started hiring me, you know, when his regular keyboard player couldn't make it, you know, who was Vanna Garrett. Right, right. Vanna was Kielli's regular keyboard player. Oh, that's that right. Time. I forgot about that. Yeah. Right. So, so that mm-hmm. started, yep, so that started in 95. And then, and you know, from that point on, you know, a few gigs a year or so, you know, I'd play with Kielli And then, and then. I think I played the first record I did with Kielli may may was either special effects' record Butterfly or Kielli's record Sweet on you, one of those records i'm I'm not sure which was first, but after that, he pretty much had me you know on on most of the records. I'm usually on three or four cuts of of whatever record he's putting out. you know I mean, I'm lucky that the gigs I do all the gigs I do. Or challenging enough where it keeps me in shape because it's not like I'm on a regular practice schedule you know of getting up in the morning and playing an hour of scales and then working on playing mm-hmm. giant steps and all 12 keys and then you know working on mm-hmm. a Bach piece mm-hmm. you know I don't have that kind of practice schedule well and
0: that's what you, that's what you do when you're a student really and you're studying I mean what what happens obviously is as you as you get farther and farther into your career is you're, you're playing all the time and, and you're, the, the practice is the work, is the work at hand, yep. the music that, that you need to be ready for with, with, you know, a live gig that's coming up. It could be with a new artist or a session date. It could be with somebody that we all know, uh, but it could be somebody that we don't yeah. know that has called you to do. Are you doing a lot of sessions now where, where you work at home and you mail the, the tracks in kind of thing there's, i'm, I'm yeah, a, there's lot a of bunch that of that i now. mean there's
1: a number of those projects a year you know i've 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 gotten into a you know a pretty good groove you know to so to so to speak with um with tom braxton who i who i met through you mm-hmm. um you know tom we i've had i've had tunes on on his last couple records and and it's always gone really really well um you know we've He's a good guy. I, we we put out
0: a, a couple albums yeah. of his. Uh, well, it's been a long time, and that's where I met him. And he's a wonderful player. And he, you know, um, he played with Wayman Tisdale uh, in his band, and I think a lot of people first got introduced to him then. But he's just also a really good person. And like I, I mean, I know our experience working with him was was really yeah, nice. He,
1: and I'm sure yours. He's yours a has total been pro. Too. I mean, and, and, and the projects have ended up sounding great. You know, I mean, I feel really well. That's the one thing when you're recording with other people. You want to feel well represented, you know. And, 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 and I mean, so w- between Tom and, um, you know, Kelly's latest record, I ended up doing stuff here. I mean, we we, we prefer to record together, um, but due to, sure. due to scheduling and stuff, you know, the only way I could do my stuff no, is at just, home. it's just, yeah. You know,
0: I know. And, you know, the fact is, it's just everybody's got a home studio. Now I just talking to an old friend from L.A. who used to do all kinds of studio work. And he just said, it's just not there anymore. Everybody calls their friends with who have their own home studios. If they need a guitar part, you know, for a TV show, they call their friend, they send them the tracks, then they, they put some things down and... Yeah, you know, that's even how it's happening in the original town of studio work, LA. Yeah, you know? Probably so. Yeah. Just, I mean, I it, think
1: for movies and stuff, people are still going into studios when they need big orchestras. Well, and, if the if the budget
0: yeah. is there, if it's a really
1: big budget, but
0: just the budgets aren't there and for most things and Ironically, this friend of mine was telling me that the biggest budgets, where people are still hiring a whole bunch of people and orchestras all playing at the same time, are for believe it or not, the soundtracks to video
1: games. <laughs> that's become a huge business. That? That's become that's where the money I'll is. Tell you, you, know? It's, you know, I don't. I know some people who were involved in that, and I and every you know I hear that that, that that's really become a major major thing for recording musicians which hey you know what it's Mm -hmm. you know i'd I'd like to have some of that you know it'd be nice boy in a snowstorm it'd it'd sure be nice to stay home you know (laughs) and do some video music rather than drive to a gig oh i know (laughs) oh i
0: know i know well i i i know i i've been working away writing the last three months and it snows outside and I just go great. It's a nice view while I'm working. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Now now you've also been playing with a lot of new younger players and I wanted you to talk a little bit about well, that. Well, you
1: know, I mean Vincent and Gal is one guy who comes to mind, you know, he's mm-hmm. um really talented sax player and and a you know, a multi-instrumentalist. He, he's a he's a fine guitar right, player right. too and a good songwriter, which has been I think the thing that's really got him over the top, you know, I think you,
0: I have you, I know you've been doing some live playing with him.
1: Have you also been doing some recording? with him? I haven't done any recording with him yet. He's pretty Mm self-contained and you know, he's um, like a lot of people. I I haven't had the opportunity to do that yet. Although he's probably most likely going to be on my next CD. Um, We've, we've talked Mm -hmm. about that. So, you know, that, that, that's more than likely going to happen. Um, right but there have been some other some i've seen lately it looks like um who, who have i tell me some other of, of the newer players in smooth jazz that you've been working um, with well i mean i've played with joey somerville some you know joey's a great trumpet player um from atlanta georgia elon trotman elon is elon is a great great saxophonist um from rhode island in, you know, in the Boston area. Oh, I didn't realize he was kind of... Yeah, from of and he's, he's very unique sound to his playing. Um, you know, unique sound, um, you know, playing, playing really well. And, and just, and just, just a great all-around player. Um, you know, it's nice to see players like Elon coming in who are definitely you know coming from the tradition of, of of real jazz playing you know he's got great vocabulary he's he's a complete player and you can really hear it um, you know but then again you know the material if you didn't have great material um, it wouldn't it would matter but it wouldn't matter as much you know i mean any anybody who's becoming an artist it's really about the material a lot of players lose sight of that you know I mean, there, there's, you know, the players who maybe don't have record deals or who aren't getting noticed, and and they wonder why. And I and I tell them it's because you haven't made a great record yet, you know, with with great material on it. And I mean, I'm sorry, but I think, you know, that's what and, and and it's been and it's always been that way. Thelonious Monk was a great writer. Miles Davis played great material. You know, I mean, I mean, Herbie Hancock. Herbie Hancock was a great songwriter and a commercial songwriter from day one. You know, I mean Watermelon Man was a top forty hit, you know, for for Herbie back,
0: you know, when, when... And, and and you look at Joe Zavanal, who obviously was a great
1: composer, right. but you go back to Mercy, Mercy, right. Mercy. So you that's know? that's really the key. Uh, these were you know, so the players, you know, have to have great material. And I mean I love great material, so you know when I'm playing with you know people like Steve Cole, who also has great material. I mean Jeff Kashua, you know with from from the Rippingtons. Jeff is a fine fine composer and really makes great records. And 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 to me is 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 such a distinct voice on the saxophone. I mean I I I I hold Jeff in high regard. I I, I think of Jeff as being you know the to the rippingtons what steve perry was to journey you know i i i <laughs> that's I, quite I really a compliment that.
0: well and you know it it with jeff you see both things that i think you're you're touching upon the first that you know the material yep. you know if you can't if you don't write your own material and and, and don't have a, a a vision for that you got to find really great material but that coupled with having a specific Vision of of a sound that you you know, and Jeff puts those two things together. I think I think all the great uh, players we're talking about they put those two things yeah. together. Where it's it's that combination of the writing and the the material one way or the other, however you come up with it, combined with a statement to make as a player that makes you worth listening to. You don't just sound like another player. That's right. You know, or 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 a school of players and. Um, one of the places where I think Elon really benefits from his background of 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 you know having a deep history and love of 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 jazz of all types is then when he goes to to do his own thing he has this this a whole pile of ingredients to put together in what becomes his stew, and you know that's it's that combination that I think it make, makes it work. Now I'm curious when you. You know, especially with some of these new newer artists, the first time that you get called to play a live show with, say, you know, uh, Vincent or or Will Donato or or, or or Elon, what what do you do to prepare? I mean, obviously you learn the songs that they they're going to play, but is there anything special that you do when it's a a, the first time you're you're playing with a new well, artist. Well, I mean,
1: the first thing I do is you know you just have to listen to the material. And as a keyboard player, I'm thinking ahead, you know, or as I'm listening to what what sounds and parts in this song am I going to be able to play, you know, within my setup and with two hands and without a without a track running, you know. So that's that's the first thing I'm thinking of. I might be I don't know if I'm putting the carriage before the horse or what, but I mean I start. I don't know, I, I, I like to think ahead, you know, because I, I just feel I can prepare more. And then after that, you know, I mean, as long as, if if there's no if there aren't any charts, then I'm writing out charts myself. These days, you know, I don't mind writing out charts, and I've gotten pretty good now with Sibelius, where I can have, you know, good-looking charts, you know, that, that, that are easy to read, they look great and all that but but what makes it work best for me is when an artist um you know gives me good charts that are exactly what's going to happen when we play the gig you know in terms of the structure of the songs and then when they give when they can point me in the direction of their latest live recording of that tune you know so i can then hear how it's played and and in uh you know, make sure the chart's correct, and all that stuff, and you know it's like everybody's in a lot going in a lot of directions these days, so in a perfect world, I'd like to have music memorized. I mean my standard line with people is that by our fifth gig together, if they're close enough, I'll probably have it memorized because I would rather be playing without music than having to look at a chart. I mean, you can't you know connect with an audience when your face is buried in paper and i mean there's yeah yeah and you're you know i I know i couldn't sometimes you just don't have time uh, i mean there's not there's not time and you can't selfishly think oh i'm gonna experiment and see if i can memorize this and then you know screw up somebody else's gig because you know the, the reality of it is that everybody's got their cameras on you know, there's YouTube videos popping up here and there, there's board tapes being made, you know, and, 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 and in the end, <laughs> yeah. it's, it has to sound as good as it possibly can, and it's got to sound like, you know, you've been playing with somebody for 20 years, you know, and and not the first right, time, right, you know, right. and... and well it sounds it sounds like when especially when it's the first time
0: you're you're working a live show with somebody what really helps you the most is is as much as they can give you that's going to simulate if that's the right word for it what getting on stage with them is really going to be like, exactly. you know, hence wanting to hear like any tapes they have of the, the band that, the, you know, a recent gig, you know, cause that once you do it one time, then, you know, you know, then you know what it's like and you know what curves might happen and you know, what, what, whatever might not be exactly the same as a chart and I'm sure you go with it pretty effortlessly when things inevitably happen that weren't necessarily exactly what you thought was going to happen but i know when you hear a live tape you kind of know well that's what actually does yeah, happen that's right <laughs> yeah or that's that happened three weeks ago anyway you know so yeah that's exactly yeah. Well, that's right that's great i mean i i you're 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 a total professional with the way that you go about uh accompanying and uh Making the artists sound as good as they can be and be as comfortable as they can be, because as as a leader on the other end of that 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 relationship, as a leader, um, you know, over time I've learned to just let it go when the show happens. But when an when a when a person comes in who's never done my music before and they are they are not only ready but confident and uh, and it's clear that they're they're there to play. It just makes me relax, you know. So I think that not only do you do you bring a lot of preparedness to a, to a gig, and to another artist show, but I think you also bring something that's a little harder to put your finger on, but you know it as the leader when it's there, and that is a sense of confidence and a sense of like you're part of a team.
1: Well, you know? yeah, and I mean, uh, I, I think people also, you know, band leaders most of the time, not all the time. I mean, some 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 bands want it you know they have a you know the keyboard player's role can be different in different bands i mean i'm lucky that most of the time you know i mean i'm 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 called upon to be a soloist as well and not only an accompanist and there's an element you know to that i can bring to somebody's show that's energetic and you know that's that's that an audience really wants to see you know i mean people don't always want to hear it they don't they want to hear a polished performance but they don't want to hear a you know a sterile performance i mean they they no no that <laughs> exactly
0: and no you you bring that too which know, is and... which is always you know that you have a stage presence uh and that's another reason why i think it's so critical for any musician but it may be even more so for you to have a real comfort level with the music because then you're free to, to really bring 100% of what you have to offer as, as, a, as a performer, which um, you are not somebody, for one thing, and I love this, uh, you don't sit down when you play. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've never understood the sitting down unless you have to thing when, when people play. And so, you know, you're very free physically uh, as a performer. And, and I think knowing the music like the back of your hand only makes that more possible, and 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 it happens more easily. I'm sure. Well, it does. It.
1: It's pretty funny, you know, because like like with with some of Jeff, like with Jeff's music, Jeff Cash was music, in particular. Like about half of that I have memorized, you know. And there was a gig we did, and it's on video. It's it's kind of funny. Like, as I'm playing, like, the music's falling off the stand, but I pretty much know it. So at one point, I just even stopped picking it up, you know, for for one of the tunes. And I'm like, all right, well, okay, I actually know this, okay. You know, it's like it's 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 all right, right? You find yeah, you
0: find out at that moment that you 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 know it better than you might. But have it's even like thought. taking
1: a test. I mean, you know, it's like studying for school or something. You know, like like I mean, even I remember learning a lot of your tunes, and and I remember uh, God, when we used to play your tune "Live and Learn," um, like that melody. You know, I mean, you know, pentatonic melody, but I remember. I'd be thinking of that melody in the car, you know. And I finally got to a point, you know. I, I mean, right around when I was playing with when I started playing with you, I really, I really got to a point where I had a good system of mental practicing, you know, where I could visualize the keyboard and had good pitch recognition internally, you know. So, so, so I could like, you know, figure out fingering and 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 and, and kind of visually, you know, men, mentally practice something you know, even if I wasn't at a keyboard and, and, and you have to know how to do that stuff, you know, kind of how to, how to jog your own musical memory, you know, when you're learning stuff. Right. Um, Yeah.
0: You know, that's, yeah, the musical memory is an interesting thing. You and I have had many conversations about that because it's tied to physical memory, but especially when, you know, the, what we're talking about where you're playing music for somebody for the, with with them for the first time it's also short term memory so it's this combination of of mus- muscle memory musical memory in terms of the pitch what you're hearing in your head and where where to play it immediately on the keyboard but then some of it's just that short term memory stuff like you said sort of like studying for a test and and you know and here's the final exam in real time one note after it's, another yeah that's know? exactly what it so, is and
1: and you know i mean the last even even You know, within the last couple months, it's like you know, I have I'll I'll be playing with Jeff, you know, with Cashewa. I played with Steve Oliver. I played with Alexander Zanjic and Will Donato. So there's so in less than three months, you know, there were four separate shows like that that I had to learn, you know, plus go over newer tunes that we were doing with Kielli, you know, for all those gigs in January. So kind of out of the gate, you know, I was in practice mode and you know, now with the course with smooth jazz for scholars coming up, you know, there's a bunch of music to learn for that. Um, you know, I mean, Oh yeah, that's right. With all these different
0: artists, they're like seven, eight. Yeah. I mean,
1: I can kind of tailor that a certain way. I mean, when I heard Jakeem Joiner when we played together at Rehoboth beach, I mean, I just loved his music, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, wanted, wanted, wanted to book him So, uh, you know, that was that. was that.
0: Yeah. So, t- so uh, you know, we're getting near the end of our time, so I, I don't want to leave this out. T- tell us um, the dates of this year's Smooth Jazz for Scholars and also how people can go ahead and get this
1: tickets. This year's Smooth Jazz for Scholars show is April 24th and 25th um, in Milford, Connecticut at a place called the Parsons Complex. Um, you can get tickets by going to J- my website, jromusic.com, um, and you can also get tickets at Eventbrite. There's a link to Eventbrite, and the link is thirteenth annual Smooth Jazz for Scholars dot Eventbrite dot com. And is that link at your website? That links too? at the website too. That link is on the homepage of the Great. website.
0: So, so if they go to JroomMusic dot yep. Um, then they can find it. They can either get them directly from you, which is always yep. fun, or they can they can also go through Eventbrite and do yeah. it that way if they prefer. So that that twenty fourth that's Friday and Saturday. That's uh, Friday fair. and a Saturday, yeah. I assume. Great. Well, that's great. Uh, that, that's going to be a, a wonderful show. And who's who's yeah, doing it Yeah, we got with you Friday.
1: We have Peter White, uh, Vincent N'Gala and Gala, and Marion Meadows. And then Saturday we have Mark Antoine, Kielli Minucci, Nelson Rangel, and Jakeem Joyner.
0: Oh, that's great! Wow, so, so you got you got people that you've had for many years, but a lot of new faces. Yeah, yeah. Kind
1: of first, first time. Yeah, yeah. Peter's first time. Jakeem's first time. Um, Vincent's second time. You know, and uh, so yeah, it's going to be a nice, you know, a nice variety of stuff. And uh,
0: and I I I think that you know you're in a, a good position where you've got people who it's like they know the sh- they they've been to so many of the shows so they know all that stuff already they want to hear what the next thing is and, yeah. and that's that's a great place to be it, it's challenging but that's where you want to be that's a sign of success and and the sign that you you're 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 continue to build an audience it's you don't have people that they then go away you're you're you keep adding on to it and well that's a great note to end on jay i know you're gonna have a great success with it this year and continued success with 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 your career in general and looking forward to hearing what your next solo album is going to be your your overdue i'm starting
1: that very soon i mean i have tunes and uh you know i don't know well we'll see it'll it'll definitely it has to be out by mid-july but I might push it up soon. We'll see, you know, just play it as your schedule goes. And, uh, you know, uh, I really just, I really want to get it done. I mean, I'm chomping at the bit myself to have, to have a a new, you know, a new record out and uh, you know, there's, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky that I've been writing when I've heard things I've, gotten them right into the computer so yeah
0: that's that's the great thing about it well thanks for doing this jay this was great great fun and great stories and and
1: uh you know we'll we'll This this was a lot of fun to do so. Me too. Me too. All, all right. So now Jay. we're going to have to turn it around. I might have to interview you for a podcast. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm like
0: you. I'm a good. I'm a good subject. I know. Question, and you just <laughs> and you just stand back. You know? I, know. I know. I know. Well, we'll talk again soon, one way or the other. Thanks, Jay. And that was my interview with Jay Rowe. It was very interesting. I've known Jay for over 20 years. We've made a lot of records together. We've played a lot of shows all over the country together. Uh, And I know Jay really well, uh, but I learned a lot of new stuff about Jay myself. It was really particularly interesting to hear about his development uh, in his teenage years as a musician, and, and also to hear his great stories about all the different people he's worked with and things that have happened to him along the way. It's, it's been a great ride, and, and it continues. Well, hope you guys enjoyed, enjoyed this podcast episode two. I'll be back with another one next Monday. Have a great week ahead, and I'll see you on the next one.